Good morning. It is good to see you all on this Lord's Day, and it is Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the beginning of Holy Week for many around the world who celebrate that in particular. For us, this is a new day. This is the first time in the history of the church uh, that I know of that we've ever had two services on a Sunday morning, uh, and it is the uh, second time I will be giving this sermon. So some of you who are here doing the first, you'll have to let me know if, uh, which one is smoother or not, as all of us were still waking up at 7.30 uh, this morning. But it is good to have you all with us on the Lord's Day. title of the sermon is saved to serve, saved to serve. While you're turning or while you're jotting that down, uh, just a reminder, this Friday uh, is Good Friday. Good Friday, we, ha- we do have a Good Friday service, 7 p.m., and uh, Rocky will be preaching that service. And yeah, Rocky Kamatsu will be preaching that, and so from the Waihu Church Plant. And I would like now to just ask Jay and Rocky and Emily, and if the kids want to stand up, just stand up where you are briefly, yes. Uh, Melissa's not here, she's watching some kiddos over there. Um, Say hello, everybody, welcome. Uh, Thank you, give me a sec. I would like to present them for covenant membership at Kahului Baptist Church. We have met with them, I've gone through the interview, I've heard their testimonies, their understanding of the gospel. We've walked through a statement of faith, the beliefs, the member covenant, and the history of the church, and they desire to join still. Uh, So, um, yes, (laughs) surprise, yes. Um, But it has been good, and we'll be partnering with them even more. So, covenant members of KBC, if you are willing to receive uh, Rocky and Emily Kamatsu and Jay and Melissa Haynes into covenant membership at Kahului Baptist Church. Let it be known by an aye. Aye. All right. And any opposed? One. No, I'm just kidding. There's none. There's none. All right. Cool. Welcome. Welcome. So, um, yes. I will ask them to be at the exit just to greet you guys on the way out and uh, love them, give them a big hug, welcome to the family, and come here rocky on Sunday or Friday at 7 p.m. Invite friends, invite people, uh, and we will just enjoy this sweet season of partnership for the sake of the gospel. So let me ask you a question. How many of you just can't wait to start work tomorrow? You're just like, man, I just can't wait for the weekend to be over so I can get back to work, or come Friday, you're like, man, I just hate the weekends. I just wish that I could work all week, seven days a week. I wish I didn't have to go home. I wish there weren't federal labor laws so I could work to my heart's content. Anybody? Or when you look at that bulletin of yours, And you see and you look at the back, the nursery names and the children's church workers, and maybe the week before or the night, the day of, you look and you're like, it's my turn. Yes, I am just so thankful to go serve in these capacities. Actually, I wish they would put my name on that list every single week. Right? Anybody? Erica. Thank you, Miss America. Very good. 
What if these moments of life work, the mundane things of life could be transformed and infused with new meaning, new purpose that brought great joy in your work, a great sense of satisfaction and depth of accomplishment in your work that literally could has the potential to transform all those moments of mundane life and work and practice. What if that were possible? I would say actually it is possible. And our passage before us this morning sheds a big spotlight on those realities that it is possible to work with great joy, to serve with great joy and purpose in every sphere of life before you. And so that's what we're going to see in Exodus 35 today. What is the context? If you're just joining us, right? We are just coming out of this incredible section in Exodus. We had uh, the, the glories of Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments quickly dropped with the worship of a golden calf. The people of God, the recently freed people of God, go return to their idolatry like a dog returns to its vomit. They return to their wickedness, their idolatry, after just a mere 40 days, 40 days that Moses is gone. And God, in his anger, uh, executes wrath on some of them and yet shows grace and mercy as Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Moses comes down. The covenant is renewed with the people of Israel. He comes down, and what is Moses' face doing? shining, right? His face is shining from the glory of God, and we saw His glory, the Lord, the Lord, right? That big, great proclamation. And then it just seems like the narrative after all that just almost seems like a letdown if you're reading it. Whenever you read through your Bibles, this is one of those places that you tend to skim read and maybe just pass over, and then they made this, and the rings for the tabernacle, and the gold, and the acacia wood, right? And there's like this treasures report in there, and it's just not very exciting re reading. So what is going on here in these chapters? Much of which has already been repeated or stated in chapter 25 through 31. Now we have another chapters full of this. What, what is going on here in these just frankly boring to read portions. My hope is that by now you know that in these passages of Scripture, there is, you would already know there is great value, great insight. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how can we be equipped from this? Well, let's pray and we'll see. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. You are good to us in giving us the gift of work and labor to work with our hands and reflect our God who works and creates. You are good in that you call us to serve you. And more than that, you are good in this Palm Sunday because you are a God who did not come to be served but to serve. And give your life as a ransom for many. And so, Father, I pray if there are any in here who, who do not know these realities or, or they know them, they're familiar with them, but they don't believe and follow them, I pray that you would give faith, renewed faith this morning. And Lord, I lift up all of us, all of us in seasons of life where work and life and effort, maybe just the rote routine of daily schedules and tasks, 
I pray that you would infuse the sense of purpose that you have for us, for your glory and your name we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Here's a big idea. For those of you who are taking notes, here's a big idea. Our service prepares us. You could like put a big capital us or underline that or highlight it. Our service prepares us for a greater manifestation of his presence among us. There it is. You got it, right? We can move on. No. Our service prepares us for a greater manifestation of his presence among us. Our service to God prepares us for a greater manifestation of his presence among us. Number one, rest for your soul. That's your first point. Rest for your soul. Your second point will be give from your heart. And your third point will be work with your hands. Rest for your soul, give from your heart, work with your hands. So what's going on here, right? What is happening in these passages? So we have to remember that the sheer volume of material in Exodus chapters 25 to 31, and then now 35 through the end, all covering the plans of the tabernacle and the construction of the tabernacle is a massive clue to the reader, to us, that this is really, really, really important. When a speaker repeats things like really, really, really important, that means I'm drawing emphasis to how important this thing is. And likewise, when you're reading something and the writer is repeating concepts and ideas, you find this is really important. And so in the narrative arc of Exodus, this is absolutely Huge. Now, let me ask you, I told you, how many climaxes are there in Exodus? How many? Three. That's right. So, you guys who have been here, we've been working from Exodus 1. We are almost done. Your narrative material, your subject material is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I've had many of you wonder, what is the third climax? The first climax, the parting of the Red Sea. The second climax, and the Passover and the parting of the Red Sea kind of together. The second climax, the giving of the law. What is the third and greatest climax of the book of Exodus? Some asked, well, was it Moses seeing the glory of God? Nope. Wasn't it. You have like one chapter in Exodus left. You can figure it out. You go home, read it, come back next week, and we'll see. But we will not appreciate the magnitude of what's happening here until fully next week on Easter Sunday. So I hope you come, bring a friend with you. If they haven't been here since Exodus 1, they will still benefit. And you'll just benefit even more because you have all this backdrop. So these, the magnitude of the material is a clue to how important it is. It's also helpful to remember that Moses, as he's giving these commands on the tabernacle, his face is doing something. What is it doing? It's shining, right? Don't, don't forget that. He came down from the mountain, and when he would speak the commands of God, his veil would come off and his face would be shining as he would give the commands of God, and then he'd put the veil back on. So just read this with that understanding that, wow, while he's saying this, his face is literally glowing like the sun, and they're freaked out. It's kind of cool. kind of gives a different meaning to the chapter. I definitely drew that out to my children, and uh, it's just fun. So... His face is shining. Now, as we get to the repetition of the tabernacle material, we also see the repetition of the Sabbath command as well. Exodus chapter 35, we see the Sabbath command repeated here. Go to verse 1 through 4 of Exodus 35. 
sorry, one through three. Here's what it says. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So here it is again, repeated. It's already been repeated several times. I think I counted about five times since Exodus 20 that this command has been repeated. And what we find is this major theme in Exodus of rest, of rest. God has, fle- has freed his people literally, from slavery under a cruel king. And now he grants his people to serve him and commands literal rest for their bodies and their souls. Literal rest for their bodies and their souls. Pharaoh was a harsh harsh and cruel taskmaster. He only desired what he could get from them, had zero concern for them or for their benefit or their lives at all. Yahweh, on the other hand, beckons his people to work, yes, but also grants and commands their rest. He grants and commands their rest. And sin is always the case. Sin is a harsh taskmaster. Pharaoh is likened to the sin of our desires and things that we are enslaved to in our sin. Sin is a harsh taskmaster that will squeeze every ounce of anything out of you and give you nothing in return. The Lord is a good king and kind. Now, I always ask myself, uh, as a reader and preacher of the Word of God, and you should do the same thing, when you read the Bible and you see something repeated, a command repeated, You have to ask, why is this command repeated, and why is it repeated here, right? The Lord's already given the Sabbath command, hasn't he? Several times. So what is the function in the narrative of repeating it here? Hmm. You should always think that. What what is going on? Why here? Because God isn't just haphazardly saying things. Oh, yeah, don't forget that. Oh, yeah, well, it's on my mind. Don't forget. No, he's, he's speaking with purpose. And intentionality. Among some other reasons I could give, but this is definitely one of them. This functions here by reminding the people who may think that their work and their skill with their hands exempts them from the Sabbath command to rest and worship with the people of God. This is functioning to remind them, warn them, and encourage them and love them. Those people who work with their hands like Bezalel and Aholiab, that their work does not exempt them from the Sabbath command to rest and worship with the people of God. Why would they need that? Well, like many of us, we may be tempted. They're about, these men are about to undertake a construction project to build the house of God. And they could very easily surmise, as many of us do, well, this is, this is work for God. This is worship 
to God. I don't need to gather with the people of God. I'm not much of a reader. That's not my thing. I do these things. These are my skills. This is how I worship God. Therefore, you obey the Sabbath command. You rest. I will work. And it is the house of God, after all, that I'm building. So it's a little bit important. So it is okay if I skip worship. It is okay if I skip gathering with the corporate people of God to feed my soul. Thank you, I will work. You see, one of the functions here is to remind even those people, no, 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 of God, worship of God is important and good for your souls. Gathering with the people of God is important and good for your souls in ways that working with your hands can never be. And so he reminds him, remember Sabbath, a day of solemn rest, and keep it holy, keep it holy. When we rest, beloved, the beauty of God's commands is they help guide us in a proper rhythm of work and rest, of work and worship, of work and rest, this proper rhythm and balance. And when we take God at his word and we trust God and we actually rest from our work, it reminds us, it's a statement to us, that we are finite. I can't do everything. I can't do it all the time. I need rest. I need sleep. I need to recover because I'm not God. God will rule his world. God will care for my family. God will build his church. God will work in your places of employment. You may rest and let God work on your behalf. We serve a God who works for us, don't we? So that we can rest. So as we consider our own work that God calls us to today and this week, let us hear first and foremost that God grants and commands us to find our rest in him, both bodily and spiritually. You can't help but hear this echoed in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29, this famous passage, right? You hear the echoes of this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Beloved, some of you need to hear this. It is okay for you to rest from your work. It is necessary for you to find rest for your souls in Jesus. It is okay to rest from your work, and it is necessary to find rest for your soul in Christ. So let me ask you this morning, where are you looking for rest? Where are you looking for rest? And like I said, this is for some of you, because some others of you, and probably most of you, don't need to hear, it's okay to take a day off. Some of you probably need to hear, you need to get, and get moving for the glory of God. But some of you need to hear that it is okay. It is okay to rest. Because what can happen is those workers whom I love so much and who just love to work, 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 is we can feel, fall into this trap, well, if I don't do it, who will? And in the process, we neglect our souls. In the process, we neglect the very thing that we're called to do in our own hearts, right? So rest for your souls, work your body, glorify God. That's number one, rest for your souls. Number two, give from your heart. Give from 
your heart. Exodus 35, verses 4 through 8 and 20 through 29. I'm just going to skim read some of this with you and just highlight a few things. Moses said, verse 4 of Exodus 35, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And then verse 20. Moses, all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, verse 21, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him. And if you were just keep going through this passage, you would see over and over this willing heart. And so we have this give from your heart. Now what's happening here is the first building project in the history of God's people. The very first building project in the history of God's corporate redeemed people. What do we see? We see bake sales and pledge drives and silent auctions and all sorts of things accompanied by uh, building fund drives today. Is that, is that what we see happen here? Nope. That's not what we see at all. What do we see? We see first that only those who have a willing and worshipful heart were invited to give. In other words, the invitation went out to all of Israel, but everybody who is of a willing and generous heart. It has always been the case, beloved, since this time and on. The same is true today, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. You will hear me be the first one to tell you God is not honored by discontent, faithless, begrudging giving. When the offering plate comes around and if your heart's just like, mm, why do I do this? Like, God is not honored. God is not honored. And I'll even go further. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. Neither do we. Neither do we. We don't want you to give because we're just in so much need. Oh, help. No, 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 no. We want you to give, as with all of God's commands, for your good, beloved. For your good. There are some who visit churches, maybe some in here, I don't know. But you've definitely heard this, who think that Christianity or church is all about money. They just, they just want your money. Let me put your conscience at ease if that's you this morning. And you can do this for your friends and family members that you invite. If you hear this kind of undercurrent there, they just all about money there. When the offering bowl is passed around, don't put anything in it. Don't, we, we don't want it. Like I said, God doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We don't serve a God who, who is just in need, like begging from his people. Can I, can I get it? No, that's not God. That's not the God of the Bible. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants you. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And when I give, when we give, we say, money is not my treasure. What money can buy me is not my treasure. God is my treasure. God is my, my supplier, the one whom I depend on, who provides for me, not the strength of my own hands. God. God. And so if that's you, just know, we, we don't want your money keep it. We want you. We want a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. And when he commands us to give, 
it is for our benefit because it's always more blessed to give than to receive. So give willingly, give cheerfully. We also see that the contributions were costly and extravagant. Gold, silver, bronze, scarlet yarns, purple yarns, blue, expensive wood and materials. They weren't pocket change, spare coin type of giving. Oh, let me, let me see what, what I got here. Okay, five bucks. No, they, it took thought, forethought, prayer. They didn't even pass an offering bowl right then and there. The people left, and then they came back together, and they gave. What do we see here? First, there's an irony here. The very things they gave, the gold, the silver, the things like that, these were the very things that once they had dedicated to idolatrous worship. The golden calf. The gods of Egypt. These are things that once were used in idolatrous worship, now are redeemed and dedicated to proper worship, to proper building of the people of God. It's an ironic turn of events. And in this, we see there is a proper spending, here it is, on funds, sorry, a proper spending of funds on items of beauty and intricacy in order to reflect our majestic, great, royal God who is himself intricate, beautiful, and creative. So there is a proper spending of funds on items of beauty and intricacy in order to reflect the beauty and glory of our great God who is himself beautiful and creative. Now this was hard for me. It's been hard for me for a few years because... Uh, I've had to, the Lord's been taking me on a journey, if I could just be transparent with you. Uh, I, am, I tend to be more minimalistic uh, in my tastes. I don't like uh, art. I, I, I don't really have a, an enjoyment of those things. I don't get art walks. I'm like, it's just, it seems like a waste of time. These monies, energies, time, effort can be spent better on the gospel, on spreading the gospel, on feeding the poor and the needy. This doesn't need to be extravagant. We're going to be extravagant in heaven forever and ever with God blowing our minds. So now we go without, then it will be just full-on beauty everywhere. And so that was kind of my struggle, and still I am working through this. But texts like this, and they're all throughout the Bible, teach us that God is beautiful. He's beautiful. He's a God who creates beautiful things. He is what defines beauty for us. He is creative and artistic. He is the great art teacher, the great poet, the great song singer. He is the greatest musician, the, the greatest dancer. And you find all throughout Scripture God using these things to communicate himself to us. The book of Psalms stands as a testimony to the power of music. A 150-song songbook written, inspired by God for the people of God to worship God. And singing. So the Lord has been working in me in this to see there is a proper spending of funds and focus on things that are beautiful. But how then do we balance this, this, these two ditches, one between bare minimalism that doesn't glorify our creator, beautiful God, and the other between exa- uh, extravagant luxury just for the sake of comfort and convenience? How, how do we navigate these two ditches? has been my question and the things I've been working through. Right now, I would say the way we do so is 
the gospel, the mission of the gospel and the edification of the people of God is our primary mission that will hold those two things in balance. So beauty and art in order, and here's the important, I think, key factor, in order to display the beauty of God as opposed to in order to display the skill of me. In order to display how wonderful man is. No, in order to display the beauty and glory and intricacy and majestic nature of our great God and Savior. I think the medieval church got this way better than we do today. That's why you see these beautiful works of art, stained glass windows, vaulted ceilings, paintings that will blow your mind, sculptures of things, because they got this idea that God is blessed in what we would call the arts. So there is a proper spinning of these things in order to show the beauty of God. And what was the result? What was the result of this simple, God-ordained, spirit-filled giving campaign? The result is that the people had to be restrained from giving anymore. They were, they were giving too much. The, the, the workers said, we have too much, Moses. Tell them to stop bringing the gold. We don't need any more bronze or silver. Just We have too much. And so they had to be restrained by command from bringing any more. Praise God. This is what happens when God is at work among his people. So give from your heart. Give from your heart. And God is pleased. God is pleased. Now, it's worth me repeating here, we're not going to have any building campaigns. There's no building campaigns. Normally, uh, you would expect maybe a sermon like this or a point like this to be like, are we about to build something? And we're going to unveil our pledge drive right now. No, that's, that's not what's about to happen. Uh, there's no building campaigns that I know of coming down the pipes. It's just working through the text. What is this teaching us? How is this instructing us today? So give from your heart. Number three. Work with your hands. Work with your hands. Exodus 35, 30. And we're just going to, again, I'm just going to highlight some things for you. Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, verse 31, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab. In verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work. 36, verse 1, Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Now, this is really important. Did you see the, the nugget of truth in there? Did you see it? Did you miss this really important thing that just happened? You guys missed it. I know it. I can see it on your faces. You missed it. Let's go back. Verse 31 of chapter 35. And he has filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God. Did you see it? The very first occurrence in the Bible 
of somebody being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's the very first time. You'll see it a lot more in Judges and Deuteronomy and various things, but this is the very first occurrence of that phrase. And what happens as a result of Bezalel's being full of the Spirit of God? He began to speak in tongues. Mighty works of healing, prophecy, an incredible feat of strength like Samson, perhaps. What was the result of Bezalel's being full of the Spirit of God? The purpose and results was for the equipping of God's people to serve in the building of God's house. The purpose was to equip God's people to serve in the building of God's house. The Holy Spirit was essential to the construction of God's tabernacle. Essential. And the same is true today. We can't build the church of God, the people of God, We cannot build the people of God. I'm not talking about bricks here and wood and this property at 309 South Food and Avenue. That's not what I'm talking about. We cannot build the church, that is you, and you cannot build each other without the Holy Spirit of God at work. So what was this first use? To equip the people of God to build the house of God for the glory of God to dwell among them. Incredible. And that is still the primary function of the Spirit in the life of the church to build the people of God or equip the people of God to build the church of God for the glory of God in His name. As we see what the Holy Spirit did, what did He do specifically in Bezalel and Aholiab and these others? We find here a God-ordained affirmation of skillful artistry in the body of Christ. So the, the first one from the last point was there's a proper spending of funds on things of beauty. So this one tells us there's a proper spending of energy and time and effort and skill on beautiful things. So this is for those who are artists and poets and the arts composing songs and poems and dances and all those types of things, paintings. Now, there are some who are gifted like that in the body of Christ. I'm not one of them. If you were to see my drawings, they're they're not good. You'd probably have a hard time distinguishing between Titus's drawings and Dad's drawings. I'm not one of those people. But some of those people who are in here And at times, you might feel second-rate in your role in the body of Christ. Because in the gathering, what you see a lot of is me preaching and others who are singing or have a good analytical mind or who can think deeply on things of truth and read and have sustained thought and explanation and things like that. And you're like, I'm not a public speaker. I, I struggle with reading. That's not really my thing. I don't like to read books. Therefore, I must not be as functional in the body of Christ. I'm kind of like a second rate You know, maybe if I'm good at music, I might be able to play in the band, but outside of that, there's what really can I do to encourage people in the body? I just want to encourage you. I want to speak to you. You are very essentially useful to the body. The body needs 
those gifts. It needs the beauty and the skill and the work that you can do to be everything God intended all of us to be. God has given you that skill. God is the one who desires for you to use it. It is said that a picture is worth what? A thousand words. Think of Pastor Ray. I don't know how many words I'm going to speak today. You could draw a picture, and he could just say it all. Pictures and poems and songs strike the heart in ways that this delivery of truth never will and isn't meant to. There's a reason songs like A Mighty Fortress is Our God, we sing are 500 years old. Because they communicate truth that resonates deep in our souls in powerful ways. Or art, if you see a, a work of art, and I've had to kind of work in me, but other people, you, you see a sunset perhaps, and it just strikes you. You're just captivated, and it just tells you deep in your soul, glory of God, the glory of God. He is mighty and powerful. He loves you, and you just, you're just... Some people can capture a, a small hint of that in their art. I told the story, Maddie is here. She's here this morning. She's here now, too. She's slinking down in her chair as I speak. She drew a picture for my son's birthday, for him, on his birthday. And it, he loves geckos and chameleons and lizards and all sorts of nasty things. So uh, she drew a picture that was just incredibly beautiful, and it looked like it was printed, but she had drawn it or painted it, or I don't even know what she did. It was just, it was awesome. It was incredible. And uh, she gave that to him for his birthday, and we're probably going to keep that card forever. It, it blessed us. It, it blessed us. I didn't even, not even my birthday. It blessed us, and it blessed our son, and he loved that. So we're, we're probably going to keep that card forever, and as long as we're alive, we will probably recall that up someday, no matter where Maddie is on this planet Earth, where the Lord moves her, if she's here or somewhere else, and we will remember God's kindness to us and giving us a friend like Maddie. We will remember how God has blessed us and blessed Maddie and people who are, do works of creation. And we'll remember his, that this exists because of the love of Christ for us a beautiful gift. All done, I don't know, it took her like, I don't know how long it took her, but <laughs> it was a card. It was beautiful. All done through art. All communicated through art. Incredible the role you can have in your brothers and sisters, those of you who are gifted in these ways. It's also worth noting that these people were skilled and were inspired by the Spirit of God to teach others as well. That was in verse 34 of chapter 35. God required excellence in those who built the tabernacle and gifted men for it. One pastor said it like this, I quote, Bezalel's and Aholiab's ability to teach others is made explicit here so that no one would fail to understand that the process by which God would have given skill to all the craftsmen would include the learning and process generally known as apprenticeship. What that means is there's a role for you. Yes, you have gifts and skills, and there's a role for you to practice and grow those things and seek to be sharpening that axe, so to speak. And so it is that when we are redeemed, the talents, the skills, the energy that we once used to serve idols, we now use to serve God. 
Beloved, God has set you free. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You've been set free. You've been given a new purpose, which is to serve others and advance his purposes. You were saved to serve. So let me ask you, where are you serving in the body? How are you employing your God-given gifts, your skills, your abilities, your talents? How are you functioning in the body? It's worth you thinking on and applying. But perhaps in closing, we'll spend a little bit of time. The main purpose of our service and of their service wasn't just to work to build God a mobile home, was it? That's not, was that really what they were doing, just to build God a, a mobile home, a tent? What was the main purpose of their service? What is the main purpose of your service? Why am I asking you to serve and use your talents? Is it because Pastor Randy just needs help, so you're going to be a nice person and help him out? Nope. Nope. What is the main purpose? And so we loop back to the big idea. Why do we serve? This is what I want you to leave here with. Our service to God prepares us for a greater manifestation of his presence among us. It doesn't save us. Don't hear me saying that, all right? Your service does zero to save you, to alter your position before a holy God. He already did that. He already did that. He already set them free. He already gave them the law. He did that unilaterally because of his promises and his character. You're already saved. You're already redeemed. You're already clean before God, and you've been instructed. Why serve then if God doesn't need our service? Why then would I serve? Because our service prepares us for a deeper, greater, nearer more intimate relationship with God. It prepares us for a greater manifestation of God's glory in us and among us. That's why you serve. With all God's commands, we don't do it because he needs it. It's not as if God's like, man, I, I would love to do a work here and I just can't because these people aren't serving. That's borderline blasphemy. We don't serve God as though he needs anything. So if he asks us to serve, it is because we need something. He, sir, he invites us to partake in his plan for our good. He invites us to worship for our good because that's why we were created. For our joy. For our happiness, he commands and invites us. See, our spiritual growth, our relationship with God, our conformity to Christ, all of this demands that we serve. It is one of the key ways that we grow. It is one of the key ways we experience more of his grace, more of his presence, more of his power at work in us. Maybe an example will help. My children, I sometimes ask them to do things for me. They're five, three, and one. So they're not older. Their five-year-old is the oldest one. Sometimes I ask them to do things for me, not because I need their help. Not because I need I could do it. Sometimes it's just because I don't want to do it, all right? Sometimes it's just, I don't need it. I just want them. You can run this for me, right? So, but many times 
I don't need their help. And many times when I ask them for their help, they're going to create more work for me by getting them to help because I don't have to clean up everything that they kind of messed up, right? So all your parents kind of know how that is. So, so I don't need their help. And so I was out mowing the lawn, or I was going to go mow the yard this week, and Titus comes and he asks if he can help me mow the yard. I do not enjoy it when he helps me mow the yard, all right? Uh, he has this, like, big mower thing. It's more work for me. I like to be quick and fast and efficient so I can move on to other things so I can play with him. But he wanted to mow the yard with me. And we have this, like, mower thing. It's one of those old ones that the blade, like, it's not even... So he likes to push that thing around. It doesn't even cut the yard. It's heavy. It's, it's, but he wanted to do it. He wanted to help. I asked him to help. He wanted to help after he was pestering. Okay, you want to come help? Okay, come help. I invited him to come help. Why? Not because I needed him. I got the yard done. I can get the yard done. Not because I need him. For his good, he helped. For his good, he felt like he had a role, like he was an important part of the family, and for his development, for his development. Because if I, if, if I grew, let him grow up and I do everything for him, he is going to be an ill-balanced individual. Life will be very hard. So for their development, for their growth, for their happiness, he serves. And so it is with us. If you would have driven by 374 South Lanai Street that day, you would have seen a very happy five-year-old pushing a mower, not cutting anything, but having a wonderful time. And so, beloved, our God is a good king. He is a good father who saves you and invites you to serve for his glory, to prepare for you, or to prepare you for a greater manifestation of his presence in you. How do I get that directly from? Is that directly in the text or am I just kind of conjuring this up? How do I get that directly from the text? That my serving God prepares me for his glory near me and among me. How do I get that direct? Is it there or is this kind of Pastor Randy just twisting kind of? For that, you will have to wait till the grand finale, Easter Sunday, to find out. So let me encourage you in closing. Find some way, somewhere to serve. Get equipped through the Sunday school ministry we have. A small group. Get plugged in. If you need help finding somewhere to serve, talk to me. I'd love to get you plugged in or brainstorm other things. But find some way, not for my good, for the glory of God and for your good. And if you're here and you're wondering what all this is even about, I want to invite you to come pray with me and speak with me. I would love to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus who came and died on a cross for your sins and rose again for your life. So come in this time of prayer that we're about to have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may you grant, Father, that when this poor wisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, that in heaven we'll be singing your power to save forever and ever. Would you grant everybody in this room that? Would you grant that we would cherish the redemption that you have given us and that we would walk in newness of life and serve you intentionally, purposefully, and for our joy? Would you do this work in Kahului Baptist? In Jesus' name, amen.